Ah, all right, let's pray. Uh, Jubilate. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. That's good news. 2 Corinthians 5, let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, whoever year renews the face of the earth and whose will it is to renew this world of fallen human beings, those who have come to sin and death, grant that we may discern in your Son the dawning of true life and that we may share in his new creation, he who lives and reigns with the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. Amen. Amen. Okay, thanks. Good to see you. Um, get your picture taken. <laughs> Otherwise, people will be sad. You don't want Carol Holter to cry herself to sleep at night, do you? No, you don't. You want Carol to be happy. Get your picture taken. Okay, that's good. Sign up, get your picture taken. Is this the last week to sign up, Carol? Let's pretend like it is. This is the last week to sign up, get your picture taken. No, it's not really, but... People, you have to, you know. All right, so get your picture taken. That'll make Carol happy. Uh, throw some money in the basket for Spain. Um, actually, I'm going to go sometime in, uh, at the end of May and into June and drive around in a van with a bunch of Spaniards and see if we can find any Lutherans. Uh, it's going to be very interesting. So um, there are still Lutherans who are left over in Spain. Um, there's a transition in the missionary work there. We're going to figure out if we can maybe help them and get some... Uh, Spanish pastors on the ground going strong. Spain's a tough place. It's obviously heavily Catholic, and it's also the unemployment rate. I read the other day something like 35%. It's, a, it's in distress. Uh, on the other hand, there have been Lutherans there ever since the Reformation. You know, there are Protestants all over Europe. There have been Lutherans there. They could use a little love. Um, it's a place that's asked for some help. We found out about it because Arthur just went there for a sabbatical for six months or three months or a few years ago and sort of you know, found all these people and tried to knit them together, and it's working with the Mission Department of the Missouri Senate. And so this is very preliminary stuff, but if you throw some money in the basket, I'll take it over to them, and that'll just, you know, help them out. So we'll have to see what happens, and maybe St. John. You know, long ago, far away, 50, 60, 70 years ago, it was, it was St. John that started the Lutheran Church in Ghana. Uh, you remember that, and so you know, that still goes strong based on Finn and St. John's efforts. You know, we'll, it's always fun to kind of be on the kind of the first level of things. In Russia, we were pretty close to the first level. If we can get to the first level of this again, we can probably do some good, and you can brush up your Spanish and go help them out, okay? Um, let's see, what else? I think you all know, but especially because there was an article in the paper last week, I'll say it out loud, that the building next door sold. You all knew that, right? Everybody knows that? The building next door sold. It'll be used as a school for autistic children. It's run by a Catholic organization, but the kids are not... Um, all Catholic or maybe even primarily Catholic. Uh, they're kids who are often in the public school system but don't quite uh, fit because of their autism. So it's something like 100 kids and 95 staff. So you can kind of get an idea of what it will be like. We're very happy to have them next door as our neighbors. They're happy to have us. John Crow has been after this for a very long time. He's done a very fine job. And, you know, everything is signed. The deal is closed and we're presently work refinancing. If you, um, in a couple of weeks, we'll have a voters meeting. It would be very good if you could come. It's all good news, and it'll be fun to kind of see a very simplified version of where the church is going. Has somebody got the date? May. Any governing border? Second or third Sunday in May, right? It's in the life together. Mark the calendar. Anyway, the, what is it, 19th? 19th. Okay, so the 19th of May during this hour. And that will be just, there won't be anything voted that day. That'll just be pouring out information. Uh, the votes for... Um, the budget and for 
the governing board spots that are open will be in June. I think it's the uh, 22nd. Somebody help me out. Is that right? 23rd? Okay, good. So that weekend. Uh, okay, that catches up on the news. Anything else you want to know or uh, any gossipy stuff you want to share? We don't do that. <laughs> Except for Karen, apparently. Yes, my friend. I'm kind of a 60s child, Karen. I'm free. I'm free. Life's good. I'm free. I actually have a. I actually do stand on the back porch with a back porch with a baseball bat now, and the light on. So don't wander into my backyard when my dog is out. Okay. I'm a little. I'm a little jumpy now, Karen. I can't. You know. I remember the. I remember when the coyotes started to come five or six years ago. I remember the first one that went across the backyard one morning while I was at a cup of coffee. I'm just like. It was like one of those things where you. I didn't really see that, and now they're around all the time. Yes. Yeah, I do. I talked to Edie two or three times. I actually gave, I told Edie this morning to do this during the, this part of the sermon. I said, people will think you don't like me, but you and I will both know it's just about the coyote. Edie lost her dog to a coyote this week, so that was very difficult, you know. So it's happened, but it's happened, so be careful. And here's the thing, I, Karen, I know my family's not like your family. I know in your family, everybody, including the dog, does what you say. Um, <laughs> You know, my family's just not like that, I'm sorry to say. I mean, I just, you know, bribes are what work in our family. Rewards. Uh, so uh, I should say the vicar's parents are back. So, you know, love them up. You know, slip them 20 bucks when you see them. Uh, tell them how nice their kid is. You know, bring sugar for their coffee, that kind of stuff. We were very glad that they came just at the time when the water comes up in the basement of the vicarage so they could get the full experience that we give. <laughs> You know, all the vicars who come to St. John, so that's nice. We've gone all the way from the liturgy to natural disaster and everything in between, so we're very happy to have you here. Thank you very much. What else? Anything else going on? Hope you're warm and safe and dry again. Uh, yeah, the church did support it. I can't take any credit. Pastor Nelson did a great job, and um, I heard it was, it was Amy mostly in her group. Is that right? Amy Hounstein, so um, yeah, I haven't heard all the details, but I have heard rave reviews so far. Um, you know, uh, God bless you all. I'm sure I'll get, a, I'll get a rundown at some point, so that's good. What else? Anything else you need to know, think about? Windows, um, when the snow flies, my dear, when the snow flies. So um, the windows are all in Iowa with Emer, you know, Emer, Emer the window man. Um, you might disdain him because of his name. He's the first guy I ever met named Emer. But when you see him work with stained glass, you would rejoice that they're now safely in an old muffler shop in Fairfield, Iowa. Uh, they, couldn't, they couldn't do better. So the final design is about to be approved. There's final negotiations between Bruce the architect and Chris the designer. Um, then they do whatever magic they do, and then um, they bring them back and put them in, and they'll be a big mess for a week or two when they do that, and then you'll be happily ever after. Amen. So I would think, I don't want to promise you too soon, if I tell you Christmas and it comes for Thanksgiving, you'll be happy. If I tell you Thanksgiving and it's Christmas, you'll be sad. I live to make you happy, Marge. So I'm going to tell you Christmas, but it'll be before then, okay? By the autumn, I hope. Anything else? All right. Um, you should have still an outline um, from last week. We'll probably get that through, and then I think the vicar gave you some other ones too. So, okay, here we go. 
Jesus, this very practical way that Jesus teaches people to pray, which is a different thing than in the past. Um, you know, people before that either taught technique or they taught theology, but the practical nature, and especially the gift-giving that happens when Jesus, you know, we went through this glorious thing where Jesus lets you say us and our, talking in the first person, we, you know, our Father, where he gives you his family, he gives you his Father, he gives you his kingdom, he gives you heaven, he get, makes you a sibling, all those sorts of things. It's very, very helpful. And then this strange thing um, where your friend comes at night and asks you to do something impossible. We probably think about prayer in a way that's fundamentally wrong, which is we think about prayer as a way of um, discharging a duty or getting something or um, a, a means to an end, which the, 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 the problem of thinking about it that way is to, to, that's to think that you're in charge some way. And so I tell you, you know, among the three or four best things I've learned in the last ten years is Bernard of Clairvaux. When, when you pray, the Lord gives you what you ask or something better which was not unlike the very last margin comment where, you know, DeSalle just says, you know, do the Lord's will and, um, you know, kind of rejoice in it, which is not unlike the stuff we did with the transfiguration icon that said, you can't see your life in real time, but God is knitting it all together, Romans 8, okay? So, um, so often, and this is a very primary complaint that people bring to pastors, which is they prayed for something and they didn't get it. Or they prayed for something and something went horribly wrong. Or something went horribly wrong and they prayed for it and it didn't get fixed. And people, you know, up to the point of lose their faith over this. Behind that lies a fundamental misunderstanding of prayer. The problem is, in a pastoral situation like that, you can't say to people, your real problem is that you don't understand prayer. They have no interest in that, right? So this is a little bit of inoculation in advance toward the next time you struggle with this. And it comes out of this text of, a friend comes to you at midnight and asks for an impossible thing, right? So remember how the story went. We read this. It's on the sheet. You can look at it. But you're in bed with all your children. Life is good. A friend comes to you and with an impossible thing. Hey, help me. You've got nothing to give, but what do you do? You go to your next-door neighbor. You bang on the door and say, A friend has come at midnight. Help me out. The, the lesson of the story is um, that not that... You have to have this prayer that solves every problem and you should figure out in advance and make sure that you can, you can solve everybody's problem because when you solve it, it'll all be good. Don't waste your time trying to figure out the Lord and what he's doing and where he should be. So I gave, this week I gave a lecture, my annual lecture on the sacraments at Wheaton College where somebody always says, you know, as one young woman said, what about predestination? To which I said, what did I say? If I had soap, I'd wash your mouth out. Yeah, that's how she reacted, too. I was just kidding. It was early. I was just, uh, just trying to see if she was awake. No, I said, you know, you know I get no idea about predestination. I, I get, it happens in the mind of God outside time. So there's two things I don't know about, the full mind of God and what it's like to live outside time. I know it's there. I know it happens. I know it's for my good. I don't worry about that too much, okay? In the same way, your prayers are like that. Instead, think of your prayers in the, in the way of this story. Somebody comes to you and asks you to do an impossible thing. So somebody says to you, um, just take our prayers this morning. You know, the Boston thing, an impossible thing. How can people be restored after that? Or, you know, somebody's deathly sick and goes into the hospital. It's an impossible thing. Or someone dies. You know, Diego's mom passed away this week, after 10 weeks after his dad passed away. You know, what do you, what do, you do with that? How do you, how, and this is, you know, reality in our, how, how do you talk to him about 
you know, losing both his parents within 10 weeks. How do you do that? That's an impossible thing. People come to you and they make impossible demands in the church. Well, you don't have the resources on your own, nor does any pastor. And you shouldn't, you know, either expect of your pastor or blame your pastor for those sorts of things, even though pastors, you know, get that people come in all ways and sometimes elbows get sharp and all that. Put that aside for a second. We're in a calm period, so let's talk about that. Let's get ready for the next time, which is we don't have the resources of ourselves to fix the world. We don't. But every week we say, this is the Jesus who loves me, who takes me in his hand, who gives me the creed, who gives me the Eucharist, who's knitting things together, who's sorting things out. We have resources to borrow from somewhere else. And that, I think, is um, what the text says to you, right? So if you just take a look at that text, um, suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves. A friend of mine has arrived. Someone's come to me in the middle of the night and made an impossible demand. Can you give me something? He answers from within, don't bother me. The door's already locked. And part of what you're supposed to see is your Heavenly Father is better than your next-door neighbor. Jesus often tells stories like this where human beings, and sometimes he even makes the villain or the crank, you know, like the dishonest steward. Nobody can ever make sense of that. Well, why? Because the, the, the lesson at the end is even human beings can get this right. How much more your Heavenly Father, see? So, you know, so somebody comes, makes a demand on you. You go next door. Your next-door neighbor goes, you're an idiot. It's the middle of the night. We're in bed here. But, what does it say? I tell you, even though he will uh, not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, because of his shamelessness, you know, certainly a law reason, because of his shamelessness, his persistence, his antagonism, his inconvenience, he'll get up and give him whatever he needs, okay? The point is a very simple point. I mean, there's several points there, but the point is a very simple point, which is when your friends bring to you impossible needs, or you, when you bring impossible needs to your pastor, um, when they say we should pray about this, it's not necessarily the solution that you'll be seeking. But it is a solution that the Lord is willing to give, however the Lord chooses to work it out. When you pray, the Lord will give you what you ask or something better. And that is the thing that you bring to people who give you impossible demands. Your kids, they're impossible. Your spouse is impossible. Your in-laws, they are impossible. The people in this room, people who come to the church, people who walk through the door, people are impossible. Yes, they are. It's very difficult to live with other people. One of the great joys of heaven is that people will live together peacefully. It will be one of the great joys, right? That will be one of the great joys. That all our stuff will be gone, and when our stuff's gone, there's no rub between us. That'll be one of the great joys. Your best day, you know, will be, you know, your best day will be less than your worst day in heaven. It, I mean, that's a great thing. But until then, we try to soothe each other um, by praying for each other and borrowing what God has to offer. Now, you need to be clever because people need to be different things and pastors then need to be particularly clever. They have to try to figure out what it is that would be best for you. Your friends try to figure out what would be best for you. What people present, their presenting symptom, is often um, not really the issue and what they think they need is often not what they really need. Right? Now, you can, you're more or less good at that. You can always pray for people's peace, you know, for, their, for a calm soul for their forgiveness, you know, for their, for their joy, that they'd come to church and come to the Eucharist, that they'd remember their baptism. Those things are completely safe. You don't need to waste a lot of time trying to work things out, but you would, and don't misunderstand me. If you have a child who's sick in the hospital, you obviously pray 
for their healing. The Lord will sort it out, but you pray for what you know the Lord would want, which is that people are restored. Um, but you borrow that from Jesus himself who says, I love kids and I'm really good with them, right? Does that make sense? So the moral of the story is you go to Jesus and you borrow. You go to the Heavenly Father and you borrow what he has and you give that to your friends. And so that's partly what we mean when we talk about participation in things divine. When Paul talks about, we even have colleagues in the church that say, help us to participate in the things that are divine. We go borrow things like divine love. We could never work that up on our own. Divine forgiveness. We couldn't, there are things people do to us we could never forgive on our own, but we learn to forgive because... Jesus forgave them and we just do what Jesus does because that's what faith does and you know off we go. We can't figure it out. We could never do it. We ask for divine wisdom because there's things that we could never figure out. We ask for divine patience because of ourselves we could never be patient as long as it takes for things to work through, right? So the moral of the story is, um, in a sense, is you go borrow divine things and you give those on to other people uh, as a gift to them. Still okay? Yes, please. Right. 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 Um, you know that's a that's a it's a it's a crash of the things that you you know to be true, which is the Lord gave you a child, the Lord wants his child to flourish. That's a crash into. My child has died, and what do I do? And what do I do in my larger family and with all the people that I know, right? It's this, and there's nothing more difficult. The death of a child is, you know, top of the scale in terms of the difficulty that you face. And you can, my guess would be that you can say that now, but you couldn't have said that years ago or even then. You, know, you come through it, and it's the way the Lord sort of knits things together and then makes you valuable to other people. But in real time, it's virtually impossible. So, but it's good that you can, you can say it now because it's an extraordinarily difficult um, thing to go through. But, you know, and your own life is proof of how, how the Lord has sort of worked things through, right? I mean, from since then. It makes, you, know, you can't realize, uh, one of the things I've said to Pam many times, I'm in the eagle to have an I think you may have said that to me a time or two as well, which I found very helpful, to be honest with you. So, yes, please. I'm more comfortable with better than well because I, I think well might well might be all the way to the end, and I I don't even even the Luther quote that was there this morning we're not being but we're becoming we're in process that's a very interesting quote I realize it was early in Luther's life 1521 but it's still very but I would I would be very much for we get better we get better I mean Byron's better than he was five years ten years twenty years ago we you know what the great sadness is when we don't get better. And you've all, everybody has known people who get their 80 and they're not better. And you're like, this is why the scripture so prizes people who are older. It doesn't prize them because they're just old. It prizes them because they've gotten better over the years. And it's really true, which is why people need to go to church and expose themselves. Yeah, you, and one of the joys is if you can finally see it. And the greatest joy is if you see it in somebody else. But of course, the presumption when scripture talks that way is the people have gone to church every Sunday, that they've lived in the image of Christ, that they've been to the Eucharist. The, it, here's the thing. If you don't do it, you don't get better, right? So it's not automatic with age. It only is, and this is true for your case too, that the Lord has in some way redeemed this thing, right? This impossibility. 
um, that you can even speak of it, you know, in a group like this and speak positively is a miracle all its own. Um, it's very difficult, and I know many of you have been through things like this. So the great joy is it's not only that you've gotten better, but that you're better for other people, and I have personal experience with that. So it's, it's very, very nice. That is the, exactly the way, then, from an impossible situation, you borrow something from God and you give it to other people. That's the story. You don't have anything of yourself. You borrow it from God. You give it to other people who are in need. That's what Christians do. This is just what Christians do, right? Now, um, going right into that then, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you, search and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you, everyone who asks receives, everyone who searches finds, everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Now, here's the thing, you don't always get exactly what you think you were going to get, uh, as is so often the case, right? So you don't always get, um, but we do, uh, we do have this enormous power, um, you might think of, and this is completely from Kleinig, you might think of your prayers as a gift card. Um, so when, uh, for a while Kleinig was um, dean or uh, master or of some sort. He was, in any case, at a, at a high... And the boys in high school, was a boys, I think it was an all-boys school, high school, prep school in Australia. The boys would say to him, as sassy boys do, do we have to pray? And then he would say, as sassy deans say, you're a damn fool if you don't. Uh, <laughs> Now, here's the thing. Uh, it's a little like gift cards. Gift cards, in one sense, drive me crazy. Why do they drive me crazy? Why do gift cards drive me crazy? You've got to keep track of the ballots. You've got to use them. And they sit in the cupboard. I mean, the, the intense pressure of looking at that gift card again going, ah, wasted. But your prayer, prayers are exactly like that. Prayer, when you don't pray, it's like you have a gift card that you refuse to use. That's what, that's what you're, it's a very good image of what a prayer is like. You've all been blessed with this thing. You're in the royal family. You have access to the Father. You have the Son as your brother, right? And he says to you, bring me even your most impossible things. And then we say, meh, you know, maybe I will, maybe I won't, right? So instead, what does he say? Ask and it'll be given. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it'll be open to you. Um, you, you know, do you have to do it? It's the wrong question. You know, it's the wrong question. Do you have to pray? It's completely the wrong Why would anybody ask that question? Except we're dirty, stinky, stubborn, smelly, except sinful. You know, that's the reason we ask the question. The question is the wrong question. Do I have to pray? I don't know. Do you have to, like, spend that Morton's gift card for 500 bucks? Do you have to? I don't know. If you don't like the steak, have fish. Do what you want. You know, go to the bar. Just have a $500 bottle of wine. It's all going to be okay. Do you have to do it? You know, you know, you don't have to. Are you lesser if you don't? Yes, you're lesser if you don't. And all the people around you are lesser. So part of the reason to just talk about this, you know, we've talked about this through Lent, part of the reason to set your time to read Scripture, think about it, and then from Scripture pray, is that everybody is better because of it. Everybody is better because of it. You're better, your friends are better, the church is better. You know, Christ begs you to do that. Yes, please. It is exactly crazy. Yeah, Luther has a similar quote where he says, people would come from miles around if they knew somebody could cure their disease. But, you know, then we have this cure, one of which is prayer, and we sort of like, eh, I'm really busy today, right? And it's not just you who are suffering. It's your husband, it's your kids, it's your friends, it's the people in the room. So, you know, if you can't do it for yourself, do it for other people. I mean, I need your prayers, you need my prayers. The church needs all of our prayers. The congregation needs our prayers. 
And Jesus is all too happy to not only answer your prayers, but give you gifts that make you better. Really? Just, just read through. Read with that eye when you read through the scriptures. You will see it. It is all over the place. From pray without ceasing to, you know, pray for these things. All right, keep going. Um, <clears throat> is there anyone among you who, if a child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if a child asks for an egg, will give you a scorpion? And then, see, here's the punchline I was talking about before. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. So even evil people know how to give the, you know, good gifts to their own. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit, very interesting, will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. The Holy Spirit is not a thing we normally pray for. In fact, you know, Lutherans are so big, we're so uh, reluctant about um, charismatic things, and we're so reluctant about uh, that we, we react sometimes and say only through word and sacrament, which is in fact true. But here's Jesus directly saying to you, pray for the Holy Spirit. Um, that you should pray for the Holy Spirit. I mean, there it is. You can't, you can't bend that. Jesus says to you, you should pray, and so you should. You should pray that the Spirit would animate you. You should pray that the Spirit would lead you, console you, be your advocate. You should pray that um, consolation to the Holy Spirit would be on those who are around you. Um, you know, the Holy Spirit is a person. You need to remember that a Holy, the Holy Spirit is a person, and like any other person, persons like to be invited in. You know, they like to be drawn. Now, sometimes persons act in different ways, and sometimes they'll appear even when they're not invited in, and sometimes they work really hard. But it would be better for you if you would just simply say, I would really like the Holy Spirit. Um, the Holy Spirit is a gift. The Holy Spirit is a person. And the Holy Spirit is continually given, you know, through word and sacrament. Now, that brings us all the way then to um, how we use the scriptures. Things start to bundle up together, which is, uh, we've been where we've been so far, and it's always, in some ways, it amazes me um, how long it takes us to get there. But then I'm also always amazed at sort of the progress we've made. So you remember how we started this? We just started this with the notion that you should all calm down, and I should too. That we should find a place and a time to what? Uh, first, be quiet. To orient orient ourselves toward the cross. To pick up a scripture. To read it to think about it, what it means, and also to imagine how that applies to our own lives. And then, of course, the very next thing, which is not always obvious but should be obvious now, which is we learn to pray the scriptures. And, of course, the scriptures were meant, they were meant to be prayed. Um, they were given to be prayed. The Psalms, you know, um, the old monastic rule, um, uh, the scriptures once a year and the Psalms once a month. And so you do, you know, you do... Um, but, you know, five psalms a day was a typical kind of thing. They were meant to be prayed. Um, an old guy, when I was young, an old, old guy said to me, um, and I did, I will confess to you that the psalms didn't make much sense to me when I was younger. That was somebody else's stuff. An old guy um, said to me, well, it's just because you haven't suffered enough, which I have found now in my life to be true. Um, the intense suffering that is expressed, even the rage in the psalms, uh, that is expressed not only toward others but toward God um, is an emotion and a reaction that most people come to over the course of their lives. Um, another, you know, old guy, different old guy, but old guys are valuable. This is, goes to your what old guys are good for comment. Said to me uh, once, well, um, you take your rage out on the Lord. 
he can stand it. So if you turn your rage on other people, and there's a, there's a range of reasons why you could be rageful, from the death of a child to somebody doing you in, to a business partner, to, you know, a spouse, to a run of things, you know, what do you do with your rage? I mean, there's a, there's a range of things you can do. You can, you can bottle it up. You know, you can bottle it up. It will eat you alive from the inside out. You can spew it. Now, just a little aside, which I've said in a couple of Bible studies, I haven't said it in here, but one of the things that you should know is that um, before you complain or spew too much, your uh, communication, like your actions, are open season. Um, I'm going to pause and just go back to when we talked about some of the demonic stuff, but with your complaint and even with your rage, you actually inform the demons, you inform Satan of where your weak points are. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. It's a great reason not to complain so much. Because one of the things that you do, when you, when you verbalize or act out your sinfulness, your rage, your complaint, you actually sh- not only, you know, you, well, you show the, not only show the world, but you also show the demonic where your weak spots are. Um, pause. And this question comes next, so I'll give you this question, which is, what about when you pray then, especially when you pray aloud, and I've often encouraged you to pray aloud over the course of this as a different sort of discipline, which also informs the demonic. Um, you know, the simple Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. All the stuff you learn from the liturgy is brilliant stuff to have with you anytime you feel pressed or frightened by anything that's evil or demonic. I mean, those old movies where, you know, the vampire would come and they used to do this or hold up a crucifix, there actually is some real wisdom in that, you know. Um, and the church has always recognized that. Now, part of it is that you remember, as Chrysostom says, you wear the cross of Christ on your head, and you, because his name always shoots forth from your from your head like lightning, um, the demons can never get a get a they can never get a straight blow on you. They always have to come with their eyes shielded. But you help the demonic, you help evil when you rage, um, when you uh, complain, when you engage in sinfulness. You show them, you open yourself to what is demonic, and you show, pe- you, you show them uh, where your weaknesses are. As opposed to, and this is very important, when you express these same things to the Lord in prayer, that's protected communication. This all goes back to the notion that only Jesus can read the heart. Human beings cannot read the heart. The demonic cannot read the heart. Only Jesus, only God can read the heart. Um, but when you pray in the name, you insulate all it is. And so... This is extraordinarily important. You can rage within the Psalms, and that is a mark of strength and not a mark of weakness. You can complain within the Psalms. It is a mark of strength and not of weakness. It's like insulation on a wire. Anything that's done inside prayer, anything that is done in... And so we talked about this at the beginning, that all prayer is done in the name of Jesus, and prayer in the name of Jesus can only help. It can never hurt. And Kleining was bold enough to say that even people who pray in the name of Jesus to curse somebody else um, can only do good, and the good that often does is it turns them into a Christian. Okay, so whenever things is done inside the church, inside the scripture, inside prayer, inside the sacraments, yes, rage, be angry, express, complaint. They're songs, psalms of lament. Get it all out, but get it out in a way that is salutary, holy, protected, within the divine. That's what you need to do, and not just let it go the other direction, which is to go completely evil, okay? Because when it does, then you're taken into darkness and not into light. 
So that goes all the way back to, um, uh, you know, two old guys, one who said, you know, if the Psalms don't make sense to you, you know, don't worry, they will at some point. When you reach your suffering <coughs> limit, they'll make sense to you when you've suffered enough. And the other one is, is, you know, you take your rage out on God because you can take it. It's two very painful but um, helpful pieces of advice from, you know, guys who when they told me that were both over 70 and had long careers in the church. Pause. Questions about any of that? That's going a bit far afield. Yes, please. Yeah, as long as it's in the Psalms, you're safe. Yes. But there's other complaining that David does that's not so helpful for him, right? And he start, in Psalm 13, he started out really complaining, and he ends up the last verse with, The Lord has dealt bountifully with me. Thank you, and I should say that. What you'll normally see, so that's very, very helpful, and here's the reason why. That's a normal pattern of the Psalms, of the Psalms of Lament, or Psalms that have a complaint inside them. What happens is he says something like, Hey, are you paying attention? That's how it starts, right? And he says, look at this mess. And then he describes the mess. And he says horrible, horrible things like, you know, kill them, poke their eyes out, bleed them, beat them on rocks. I mean, the stuff that is said in there, right? And then, there, but there's always some transition where he says something like, you know, this is really your problem, not my problem, right? There's always this little hook. And then he says, and you're God and you'll work it out. That's how, that's how it works out. That's a, so do you see how that's protected? The complaint is protected within the name and the power of God. It's extraordinarily important, which is very different than you going downstairs, having a cup of coffee, and just complaining about everything, or me too. It's very, very different. It's very different when it's encapsulated within the name and power of God, within the grace of God, right? We'll see. I gotta, is 13 is the one you're thinking of? I've got to have a look at it and see if he gets... Does he get to the end? Does it, does it have a ha- for hap- happy ending? There you go. I, I actually believe you. <laughs> Here's the thing. If you can get to the Lord has dealt bountifully with me, what's happened to your rage? It's melted. Right. It's dissipated. It's disappeared. If you can say... The Lord has dealt bountifully with me. You're back at the spot where the Lord is still your Lord, and this is the key thing. He's for you and not against you, right? And he'll sort it out. And then you can say, come what may, um, I'm in God's hands. I'll take what he gives. I was in a bad mood because I had been at a state bureaucratic meeting uh, that I didn't want to go to. Well, there's like nine things to make you in a bad mood all in that one sentence. <laughs> State bureaucratic meeting didn't want to. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a lot going on right there. All right. Um, <laughs> let me just, I want to finish up this page and we'll go to the next one next time. But uh, let, me just, let me just pause to say this. Um, the scriptures were not just given to us to, to preach and to teach. The scriptures were given to us to pray as well. You know, it's as simple as Jesus saying, when he talks about the vine and the branches, if you abide in me, the Greek word there is if you stay put, or if you stay where you're planted. So if you abide in me and I in me, I'm sorry, if you abide in me and I in you, um, if my words remain in you and you remain in my words, all will be well. One of the ways that that happens is you by, by you saying your prayers. You know, if it keeps you in Jesus, uh, if it keeps you in Jesus, if it points you to Jesus, if it's drawn out of Jesus, 
then um, you're going to be okay. And that, you see, is what explains the classic way of a devotional life, that you take some time, you read Scripture, you think about the Scripture, and that you pray those Scriptures. Those Scriptures then guide you into prayer. And then, uh, and this will be kind of the, be the big finish, you know from Romans 8, the, the one thing that's, people always quote the, you know, the bit from Romans 8 about God works everything together for your good. But what they neglect in often in Romans 8 is the beginning where it says Jesus is praying for you and the end that says the Holy Spirit is praying for you. It's a fascinating thing. If you want to be a Christian, you do what Jesus does. Um, you know, you do what Jesus does. You follow in his image. Jesus says, follow me. Jesus prays constantly for you. It's there in Romans 8. It's also in Hebrews. Jesus spends his days praying for you. Romans 8. The Holy Spirit intercedes with you, with the Father, with sighs too deep for words. Even things you can't articulate. You have, you have pain. You have emotion. You have rage. You have a sense of betrayal. You have these things that happen to you that you can't even express. All you know is that you're miserable. And the Holy Spirit bundles that up and takes that to the Heavenly Father in a way that you could never express it. And he asks for things that you could never begin to ask for. It's the most consoling thing. And so you're never alone, you're never unloved. You're never alone, you're never unloved. Jesus is always with you and praying for you. The Holy Spirit is always you know, searching the deep parts of your heart and pulling out what is much most painful and taking it to the Heavenly Father and saying, what should we do with that? This really needs to be taken care of. This is the sort of thing that could kill a man. This is the sort of thing that could destroy a woman. We really need to work with this. And you have that great confidence every day that the Lord is doing that for you. Um, you know, but the Lord just says, you know, wouldn't you like to play too? It's a gift card. Wouldn't you like to play too? And please, if you would, that would be great. Um, and then I just want, last thing, this is why Jesus says, you know, um, be like a child, play like, because, you know, the great thing about kids is um, kids believe what you tell them, right? They believe what you tell them. So um, with our prayers, sometimes we protest, sometimes we're afraid, sometimes we forget. Kids believe what you tell them. They, they, that you say to a kid, I'll do this for you, they actually believe you. It's only after you repeatedly disappoint them that they learn not to, you know, not to believe you. But Jesus says, you know, be faith like a child. You know, let the children come to me. You know, why is that? Because they believe, they believe what they're told. So Jesus says to you, you know, I'm praying for you, the Holy Spirit is praying for you, the Father is listening to you, would you please, please, please pray? Can't, you can hardly think of a reason why you wouldn't, except that we, you know, sometimes... Um, make the wrong choices, get the wrong habits, do the wrong things. But, you know, all that's forgiven, so off we go into a new day, okay? All right, let's pray and go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. Uh, See you next week.